on this episode of Startup the Science. My name is Fania Ismail. I'm the CEO and founder of SGMA. We are a chemical startup company focusing on replacing plastic and toxic chemicals by more sustainable materials. The world is drowning in plastic and toxic products. We are really on a mission to have a better world, plastic-free and toxic-free materials pushed to the market as soon as we can. Hi, Fania. Welcome to Startup the Science. We're very happy to have you with us today to talk about uh, soil gel materials and applications. So why don't we start with an introduction? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company? Thank you for having me, Antonia. It's very kind of you to give us this opportunity. My name is Fania Ismail. I am the CEO and founder of uh, SGMA. By background, I am uh, Kurdish. I moved to the UK in 1995. And then I went into uh, studying my uh, master degree and PhD at the University of Manchester. I won a scholarship from the Royal Society of Chemistry in 2000 to do my PhD on soil gel technology for designing chemical sensors and biosensors. And that was based at UMIST, which is currently part of the University of Manchester as they merged back, I think, in 2004. So since then, I started a uh, career in academia. I worked for Kimmery University of London, Kingston University, Manchester University, uh, until 2008, where I became pregnant with my twins. So I decided to leave academia because I couldn't do a nine-to-five job anymore. I already had my son at the time. He was about four and a half. So after maternity leave in 2009, I did not go back to academia. I, instead, I took exams in law and I set up my legal consultancy, um, helping investors and entrepreneurs who wish to work with uh, UK companies, invest in the UK. Um, and that opened my eyes up more into the world of the business. So in 2012, I think when my twin girls started to go to nursery, uh, I started to look for new business opportunities uh, where I moved from providing service to providing products because I didn't want, you know, my profit margin to be limited to 24-7 anymore. As I was looking around for new business ideas, I started to look at, see what people are doing in my field and what the world has ended up to, you know. So I I started to look at the products that made it to the market and how successful they are and if anything has failed, why they failed. So I started, um, it became more attractive to me as I started to, you know, kind of map the global landscape when it comes to social technology. I realized that really the the knowledge I had at the time, it probably takes the industry another 10, 15 years before they get to the same um, level of understanding because there is a lot of question marks about the chemistry of the social technology and how it works. And I saw a lot of opportunity in that. So I've generated my own directory. I've spent 12 months to identify the main players, the products, the gaps in the market. And, you know, made analysis of my finding. And then after that, I started to networking um, to see if my findings are correct. And then I just saw that the demand from the industry and the gaps were actually bigger than I uh, thought. 
And 2014, I started to um, look at some grants so I can test the water because I, by that time, I already designed my product using pen and paper, you know, just designing the molecules on my kitchen table. So I wanted to test the theory and see if it works. Uh, and I came across Enterprise Europe Network, which is currently called Innovate Edge, to help me with a grant application. Uh, and we successfully got that and hired the facilities and we, we saw the product working, you know, from early days. Uh, so 2015 until 2017, you know, with the backing of my family, we started to look for a place where we could be independent. I didn't want to compromise on the IP at that stage. And we applied for the license and insurance, which was very, very difficult to get. So, for example, like getting the license in place, it took more than 12 months the insurance more than eight months. So by 2017, we had all this in place and I had the key to my um, very independent place and set up SGMA. Uh, two years later, by 2019, we already identified the market, optimized the product for that market, worked on our IP strategy um, and raised our uh, first seed fund from angel investors and then i was announced as one of the women uh, innovation winners in 2019 by innovate uk which really boosted the exposure of the business to the main players and then recently uh, well about last summer 2020 well i was the first female to win the mass challenge um top diamond award in switzerland uh, which came with a prize of 125,000 pounds as well so, yeah, and that's how we are now trying to complete the scale up of our technology. This is a, a really impressive story, Fanny, and I have a lot of uh, different questions that uh, that came to me as you were as you were telling us your story. And I'd, I'd love to go into more details about your company and your technology. But first, I want to ask you because it's always it's always a different story when we ask entrepreneurs how they got to to become entrepreneurs and how they got to start their companies. And I find it very interesting in your story that you first worked in in law and in actually consulting others on how to how to maybe um, invest or how to how to develop their their companies. So how, before we, we talk about your company now and where you're at, can you tell me a little bit how that legal experience has helped you, um, how you feel it's helped you in developing your own company since 2015 or 2017, depending on when we start counting? Antonia, it's very strange that the life takes you in a circle to build up the skills that you need to complete the puzzles of your life. So um, I had no idea one day I'll be practicing law. You know, when I um, when I realized I am pregnant with my twins, uh, I thought all three children is just impossible to go back to academia. So I looked for business opportunities so I I can stay in the professional world and and, and do something because I didn't want to end up just being a mother and looking after the three children. So um, I, I spotted a gap in the in the legal sector because I am Kurdish and the Kurdish community, they have nobody to speak to when they go and um, seek legal advice. Uh, and I just grabbed their book and I uh, kind of looked at it and said like, okay, you know, I could probably do this. So that legal knowledge that I have, you know, generated during working for about five years in the legal sector 
it equally helped me same way as my chemistry knowledge has helped me. So, and the business awareness, because I, as I started to engage more with investors and entrepreneurs, I realized that actually there is, it's, it's a lot of fun and, you know, I really enjoyed making money. So I was like kind of giving advice to the business people rather than just giving legal advice. I was telling them what opportunities are available, what could they do? And then you realize, okay, you know, like there's a lot of opportunities out there. What could be the best idea that I can put all my skills together? So, and when the girls went to nursery, I was kind of questioning myself, okay, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And then also you reach a stage where you become more mature in life. You think that your energy when you were younger is saying, oh yeah, I can change the world. I can do things better. As you get more mature, you realize actually all what you need to do is to change yourself. So I started to think, okay, if I am, what is I want to do for the rest of my life and why would I would do this? Because at the time I was also reading, um, you know, some books, in particular one for Paul McKenna, where he was asking, okay, um, what would be the thing that would make you happy for the rest of your life? And that question is that very much linked into what you can do for the rest of your life. So I, I realized if I put all my key elements together, which is business, chemistry, and legal knowledge, I, I just saw something like, okay, there's so many toxic chemicals are pushing in the market. Surely we can do better. If I put all this together, I can set up that company and bring a change along. I knew it would be extremely hard road. I knew it's going to be a very long route. And that's why I took my time by studying the market you know, doing the networking necessary before I commit myself and my family to such a hard route. And, and uh, yeah, it has been an incredibly hard, but very interesting journey. So let's talk a little bit more about, um, about this journey. So you mentioned in the beginning, it's soul gel technology that you focus on. Maybe for those who don't know, and I'm guessing there might be lots of people out there who don't know what that is. Can you explain that to us a little bit? It's a glass-like material that you make at room temperature. And, you know, you use raw materials from, uh, from sand, silica sand. And Normally, this technology is, the use of it is limited to high-value manufacturing. But by understanding the chemistry of the process and the technology and the material better, as I have spent a long time of my life for the last 20 years studying and understanding the chemistry of this technology, we added our twist into that process, combining these materials with additional um, non-toxic materials allowed us to produce a very unique class, new class of materials. And we believe as a as the new technology platform that we have, it will have an impact on multiple industry, not only the packaging industry. So it has many different applications, but the first industry you've decided to focus on is the packaging and I believe food packaging to start with, if maybe correct me if, if I'm wrong. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? So what I what I read uh, so far about your company is that essentially you're you're fighting plastic pollution and climate change by by doing so, and that what you're aiming to do is to replace um, single use plastic from from the packaging industry by using your materials. How does that work? Uh, how does it compete with existing alternatives in the market, and and why is it better? 
as the world woke up into the impact of the plastic pollution, the industry started to look for an alternative and fiber packaging was the one standing out. So the, the whole industry is moving towards using fiber packaging. But there is a problem with that fiber packaging, two major problems actually. Fiber in a tone, it doesn't hold anything, no food, no drink whatsoever. So you have to have additional supporting material to make it tolerate um, holding food and drink, whether it's cold or hot. And the um, why this particular industry in the first place is because it's a major contributor to a single-use plastic, and that's why we're focusing on that one. But the two elements that we have seen that we can address it with our soldier technologies, one of them is how you make paper waterproof, and the other one, how you make paper oilproof. So the way the industry is using paper waterproof is they use plastic, either plastic liner or coating dispersions that contain some form of plastic. And then when this is applied to the paper, it makes the paper waterproof. In order to make oilproof, they, again, they use either a plastic liner or they use a chemical called prefluorinated alkyl substances, which is called shortened as PFAS. They also call them forever chemicals. They accumulate in your body and environment forever, and it has very um, bad health impacts on, on human beings. The um, regulators are trying to ban both because of the pollution and the impact of these toxic chemicals on the human and environment. So both neither plastic or PFAS delivers on any of the solution for the long term. Uh, and in fact, it needs to be banned. And, and they are working on that. In fact, the in the EU, they just published the guidelines on the new directives on um, single-use plastic um, a couple of weeks ago. And they provided a definition for plastic and also what covers that definition. And in fact, if you look at it, you would just see whatever has been pushed into the market so far. They all come under the definition of plastic, which means whether it's bioplastic, biodegradable, compostable, it's have any sort of uh, monomers, three monomers onwards, or it contains modified and natural biopolymers, then they are classified as plastic which means it leaves the industry only with one option is to go for the reusable. And the question is that the reusable, is it really the, the answer? When the energy consumption in terms of cleaning these, transferring these containers, it's we have all seen it when I've seen it when I was kids. So I, I know what's the implication of that one. It's not really the way that will fit the current modern lifestyle that people work and live in most places in the world. So what our product does is that we have two um, main products. One of them makes the paper waterproof and the other one makes the paper um, oilproof. And none of these products come covered by the current definition of plastic and the new directive of single-use plastic. So the way the waterproof works is that in the current, uh, the entire paper industry, they use a cocktail of chemicals consisting of fillers, binders, sizing agent, retention aid. So about the current, any paper that you are currently using, it has anything between three up to 15% of other chemicals. And that means if you put anything else on the paper, it will make it not recyclable because they stuck to each other and forms lumps during the recycling. So what we have done is that we have developed our product that makes paper waterproof and it would be less than 1% of the total packaging weight. So instead of using up to 15, 20% of it, 
chemicals to make paper waterproof, we're using less than 1%. And that in itself, it can tell you the impact on the recyclability of the paper and also impact on the climate change because Imagine the all the CO2 emissions where it's transferring all these chemicals when it's not really necessary to make paper waterproof. The second product is the PFAS, replacing the PFAS, which we have, you know, a product that it makes a um, oil proof without using any form of pre-fluorinated compounds in there. In more practical terms, or just for us to visualize uh, your your materials a bit better, what kind of products uh, would we make out of it? So could we imagine all of the single-use plastic, you know, cutlery and glasses and, I don't know, um, anything like paper trays, things like that, could all of this, or sorry, plastic trays, could all of these be, be made out of paper and then coated with your technology um, instead of using any kind of plastic? Uh, that's a very ambitious statement, and we really hope that we can tick as many boxes as we go along. But we are currently on the scale-up stage, and with our partners, they they have confirmed to us that the the product works and the um, the technology is scalable. Uh, and each, um, believe it or not, every single items that you have mentioned, it has different specifications. So for you to meet all these specifications, you have to figure out how much of the product you're how you're applying uh, and also how what sort of test are you using to test the product so at the moment we know our product works for cold drinks it works for hot drinks coffee fizzy drinks juices oily food hot oily food one of the things that it's currently there is no alternative in the market at all for it is an oil proof for hot products like tolerating 100 120 degree Luckily, our product tolerates that. So it's basically there are gaps in the market that there is no solution for it at all. And we're really hoping that we can fill the gap in as many areas as possible. But single-use plastic would be really the first one that we're looking at in whichever way or form that it's possible. We're working with our partners to replace it. And thank you for explaining that, because I think sometimes, especially the less uh, technical people like myself, we want to maybe simplify things. We want to find a one cure-all solution um, that would replace you know, all the plastic in the world, everything that's that's bad in the world. But obviously, especially when we talk about materials, there are so many different things to consider. Right? Is it uh, the temperature, maybe how acidic, how oily and so on. So that's, that's, uh, that's a very good point. Before we get to the rest of this episode, we would like to take a moment to tell you a few words about one of our AdmaCom sponsors. AdmaCom stands for the Advanced Materials Competition, and it's our two-week accelerator program for startups in advanced materials. Berlin Partner for Business and Technology has graciously been an ongoing sponsor of the program for quite some time now. Berlin Partners' mission is to provide business and technology support for companies, investors, and scientific institutions in Berlin. With customized services and an excellent science and research network, Berlin Partner provides an outstanding range of programs to help companies launch, innovate, expand, and secure their economic future in Berlin. So if you're thinking of Berlin as your new HQ or the location of a subsidiary, reach out to Berlin Partner. They've got your back. Check them out at www.berlin-partner.de. And now back to our show. 
So what are the next steps now for, for your technology? So you've proven that it works under many different conditions and you're in the scale-up phase. What are the next steps for um, the next couple of years, let's say? Where, where is this going to go and where should we hope to see it in our lives sometime soon? While we're working with our partners, the necessary equipment modifications, we're trying to really keep them to minimal, you know, absolute necessary equipment modification if it's required so our partners are working on that to make sure that it it you know remains as low as possible uh, and also transfer technologies for areas that if it exists in other technology coating applications then we can transfer to the fiber packaging where it will maximize the output we are also working on that one we work very closely with our customers so they bid back on the application method so to ensure that we are maximizing the functionality of our product as well so the COVID restriction has caused a lot of delay into our progress and um, since last year uh, but despite this we have moved forward um, we're hoping that we can deliver the product to the market as soon as possible because you know we are a lot under a lot of pressure from our customers to deliver as soon as possible and we know the consumers need them today before tomorrow if it is not for the COVID restriction, I would say we're hoping that it will be ready before end of the year, but with the different new variants coming up and every time making it more difficult for us to, to travel, it's difficult to say when that would be. Especially we don't have the infrastructure in the UK to deliver for the scale-up in fiber packaging, and that has been the major obstacle for us as a startup company. Yeah, it's definitely been a, a tricky time to to grow, scale up any company, especially one that uh, has to physically make products and then restrictions are, are really not helping. Um, but let's let's be optimistic and hope that things will you know come back to some sort of normal soon and, and improve. And if we think about <laughs> the even longer run, so let's say you know food packaging is your first uh, focus area, your first um, application that you're looking at. But you mentioned in the beginning of our conversation that there are also other applications, other things that could be done with with your coding technology. Can you give us some futuristic examples of what uh, those might be? Yeah, so there is a, a lot of demand for a um, sustainable solution for air-laid uh, fiber industry. So that is, doesn't cover only the making molded fiber packaging for food packaging, but also uh, extends to, uh, you know, the hygiene sector, uh, sanitary products, construction industry as well. So there are a lot of demand for replacement for that. So luckily, our waterproof um, product works for the air-laid industry as well. So we're working with uh, some partners in that industry as well. The other one is the electronic industry, as we have another product that it's uh, to replace uh, plastic liner in protecting printed circuit boards on wearable technology, wearable items. So um, our material was used in a European project uh, where more than a dozen of partners involved to replace plastic by a, a, our soldier protective layer. Uh, and it performed actually better than the others. So we kind of signed a contract with a chemical distribution company so they can distribute this product into the electronic industry. But we're just finalizing the data sheets and supporting data if there's any gaps before we launch the product in the market. 
So a lot of exciting plans and a lot of uh, a lot of future developments that we can we can expect from from you and your company. Then absolutely. Can can I ask you a question um, that is more related to to you telling us your story in the beginning? Because I think um, you know many people listening to us might be still in academia, might be considering starting a company, and you have um, all this experience from from different worlds. Right, you were in academia, then you were in legal consulting, quite different. I'd imagine than academia, and then you decided very bravely to start your own company by combining all this knowledge you had gathered over time. So you have now the ability to compare all these different worlds that you were a part of, and and I'm curious to to ask you, not which one is better because I guess they all have their you know, their differences and their advantages and disadvantages maybe, but as you transitioned from being in academia to being an entrepreneur, what were some of your key learnings or, or things that that you took that you think maybe others that are now in academia considering to start a company might might benefit from? Well, I mean, um, as you live your life, there is a lot gets thrown at you and sometimes things that you don't like and things you like. But whatever is thrown at you, I've learned in my life, like no matter how terrible it looks at the beginning. So even if you think like there is a disaster happening, you just have to calm, take a, take a minute, take a deep breath and look at it. Is it really a disaster? But why? Don't say why this happens to me. Say like, you know, what opportunities are behind this disaster, how I can turn this uh, negativity into positivity. So I've learned that whenever things doesn't work, I dig deep into why it doesn't work. And I find out I learn a lot that it's actually taking us miles further uh, rather than sitting down and complaining. So these are these are the key things that I have learned in my life. So whenever I, you know, uh, I always tell my team as well, when something happens that we don't like, we just have to take a moment and look at how can we turn that into opportunity. And it always, there is there is a big opportunity behind every no that you hear to in your journey, behind every time they tell you that things doesn't work, you just find out, okay, well, there is, there is a bigger things that I wasn't aware of. Let me just focus positively on the matter rather than negatively. That's a, a nice uh, silver lining way to look at it. And I'm glad I asked you that question because your answer is quite quite inspiring, especially in the light of uh, what we're all living through now. And maybe we're all thinking it couldn't be worse than you know, maybe being stuck at home or not being able to travel or not being able maybe to you know, grow our businesses as fast as we'd like, like in your case, or the pace at which we'd like them to, to grow. But maybe there's a silver lining to it all. Maybe there's an opportunity even amidst all of this. So... I'm, I'm happy to hear that uh, you have this, you know, positive outlook on life. Absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of, of positive outlooks, maybe I'd like to ask you to tell us what it is that you wish for, for your company, maybe for yourself personally as well in the next um, couple of years or so. And is there one, one wish that uh, you hope will become reality in the near future that maybe someone listening to, to this podcast could today could, could help with? I only have one wish for my company and for myself. Personally, I don't have any personal wish at all. My only wish and my dream is to see a sustainable packaging in the hands of the consumer. And that's the day I will look back at my journey. I'll say I lived the life that I wanted and, I, and I've done something before I leave this world. And this is, this is my only dream. And if I achieve this, I, I, think, I, I think I achieved everything. 
Well, I think you're definitely on, on your way to achieving this and it's a very meaningful goal to, to look forward to. Fania, thank you very much for being with us today. Is there anything else that you would like to mention uh, to our listeners, either about uh, your company or anything else that I might have missed to ask you? Well, I, I, I would like to thank you so much for the invitation and to all those who are listening to us say that sustainable packaging is coming. We will do whatever it takes to make it happen. We made a commitment, we made a promise, and we will ensure that we deliver on that. That's great. We look forward to only buying things in sustainable packaging from now on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vene. Thanks for listening to Startup the Science. If you'd like to learn more about our podcast, head to www.enum.berlin slash Startup the Science. You can also follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. If you'd like to leave us a message or ask us or our guests any questions, send us a DM or leave us a message on our website. We would love to hear from you. Stay tuned for our next episode. Coming soon. Thank you.